House of Cards Chapter 44 is over, but we are just getting started here on the House of Cards post-show recap. And now, here are the guys who are ready to siphon all of the goodness out of Chapter 44 and talk about it here with you today. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here is Zach Brooks. Zach, how are you? Rob, I've been thinking very hard, and I would like to donate my podcasting vocal cords to you. I think you need them. And uh, I would like to be of service to you, boss. No, no, I need full vocal cords, not partial. I'm in no condition for partial vocal cords. (laughs) Just do it. I don't want to take no for an answer. (laughs) All right. Well, Zach, we have a a lot to talk about here in an episode where Frank Underwood, we both undersold how long he would be out for that. I don't believe he spoke a word in this episode. He was basically in the vegetative state. I'm not sure if I'm using that term correctly, but uh, he was uh, in the coma throughout the whole episode. And it was a bit of the uh, Kevin Finnerty-esque episode of where we did not spend a lot of time in the dream sequence. We definitely saw numerous flashes of Frank Underwood in some sort of hallucinogenic state that's what they said it was a hallucination they said even if his eyes are open he's just seeing a hallucination and um they didn't get too cartoony or too silly with it so uh and i'm glad it wasn't the whole episode that was like that but i do feel like i wish i didn't know this show was going to be back for season five because this does feel like this is like the victory lap for this show because any character, any object, any single thing from the first three seasons, they're all back. We had even the return of Kate Baldwin, who I said earlier this season that she was out. We had Tom Hammerschmidt back. Tusk is back. Everybody is back. The rowing machine is back. Doug's alcoholism playing a role. I mean, I really like that that tied in. I didn't even think about the liver thing, but when he wanted to donate and the doctor, which apparently this doctor knows everything about Doug Stamper. Cause he's like, Oh no, you're a recovering alcoholic. There's no way like without any tests or anything like that just knows. Uh, but, but I really liked how Doug's alcoholism prevented him from being able to give the president his liver. Yeah. You cannot say house of cards is not tying up all of these loose ends from the first three seasons. Yeah. And, and maybe we really are moving into the Blythe regime uh, for season five. But, you know, if I didn't know it was coming back, I would say, well, you know, Frank might actually die. We're almost halfway through the season. I mean, it could happen, but I, I just don't see there's any way he's going to survive this. I mean, is it possible? Could we have a Kevin Spacey less fifth season of this show? I mean, we'd also have a whole half of a fourth season without him. <laughs> Could he sort of get better? Could he get better and they, uh, like be on the road to recovery and not make it? Uh, no. I mean, if it's going to happen, it should be dramatic and it should happen. Yeah. But okay. I mean, it would be it would be it would be quite the change. I can't think of any show that's uh, that's killed off a character of his level in the middle of the show. It would be unprecedented, but yeah. we will uh, discuss that possibility as we move along here in our chapter 44 recap. Very excited to be back once again talking about this five episodes into this new season of House of Cards. Of course, if you want to make sure you don't miss any of the recaps the rest of the way, we've still got eight more to go after this. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash H-O-C iTunes. Let me ask you with a big picture question to start us off here today. Would the country be better if Frank Underwood were to not make it and Donald Blythe with Claire Underwood at his side 
ran the country? Would we as America be better off? I really don't think so. I just don't think Donald Blythe is cut out to be president. No matter who you put around him, he's too manipulatable. Yeah, manipulatable, I guess is what you could say. Malleable. He's too, yeah. yeah, he's too malleable. He's too easy to easy to manipulate. And Claire knows exactly how to do it. Apparently, nobody else does know how to do it except Claire. But Claire is just working him like a, like a piece of clay right now. Well, you could make the argument that there have been past presidents and maybe even in the earlier seasons of this show where you had a president who was more malleable and a vice president who was trying to assert his or her will on said president. So I think that's definitely something that has happened in real life and in House of Cards. But let me just ask you the right track, wrong track poll. The Underwood 2016 administration. Did you feel like America was on the right track or wrong track with Underwood at the helm? Uh, I did. I mean, there were more jobs. We have this problem with Russia, but I think that they were going to be able to solve the problem with Russia. We have Uh, gas at $7 a gallon closing in. Yeah, but how much has gas risen since Frank's been out of the picture? I mean, it was like it was not nearly seven dollars before he got. I think it uh, was. Shot. I think it was in the six dollar range. No, I was in the five dollar range. Come on, <laughs> it's going <Rob>. up a dollar. <laughs> now, during the Donald Blythe administration, with Claire Underwood at his side, it looks like we have Tusk in the picture. That we're going to get China involved, which I have to give credit to you that you called once to China. The word China came up. You felt like, are we going to get Tusk back in? And I said, ah, we're not bringing Tusk back. I just figured <laughs> that none of these actors are around. You know, Tusk was a season two actor. We're going to bring him back, but here he is with Tusk in the mix. Don't you feel like the gas prices are going to go down? Don't you feel like that Donald Blythe is going to get the credit for this? And people are going to say, boy, we're better off without Frank Underwood. Yeah. Oh, we're definitely, I think the start of next episode, unless we go back to right when this episode ended with Frank uh, starting to redline or flatline, you know, if if we're going to see in the next episode, the gas prices are going to be magically back to like a dollar or dollar 50 or something. Wow. Even lower because Donald Blythe from his introduction in the show's first season that he is a character who has, he's, you know, he wants to do what's right for kids and he has, you know, all this stuff going on with the schools. We saw Petrov has his book. I mean, he has people's best interests in his heart, I believe much more to the degree to Frank Underwood, which I don't think that he gives a rat's ass about anybody, any of the people in America. All he cares about is power. Aren't we better off with Donald Blythe as our president? Well, not as a viewer of this TV show. No, it'd be a much more boring TV show. Yeah, but no, I mean, yeah, the book, the book did kind of shine. Visualize it. Visualize. Close your eyes. Yeah. Visualize America. (laughs) Under Donald Blythe. I don't know. He does care about America. I think at least to start, I just think this is a very short-sighted decision to work with Raymond Tusk. It's not a guy you want to get involved with. Well, what's the big downside? We're at gas is at 679 at the pump. What is the downside here of getting Tusk involved? I just don't think in it. You know, I think there definitely is a metaphor here to the energy crisis that actually is going on where, you know, energy is a limited supply. So, you know, are we seeing kind of a short-sighted decision to work with Raymond Tusk to, in the short term, bring down energy prices? In long term, we might have uh, larger damage that's being done. Yeah. I, mean, I just don't think, I, I don't think you bring Raymond Tusk in and he's going to fix everything and be on your side. He's going to want to get 
his cut. He's going to want to get his money or his power um, in, you know, whether that's getting rid of Claire or or whatever he's going to do. I, I just I think getting involved with Raymond Tusk is a bad decision. And it's a guy who's already been marred with working in a in a presidential scandal, you know, just recently, just with President Walker. So, um, listen, you know, th- this is not even in the top 10 Underwood scandals, the Tusk deal. Tusk pardon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in this world, it's probably not very big, but yeah, not um, a big deal. When we're talking about that, the president killed Zoe Barnes and Pete Russo and people are like, ah, crazy talk. Yeah, but Walker was actually impeached. Mm hmm. So, I mean, like this, and I, I wonder if we're going to see Walker this season, too. Well, maybe. This is the season of callbacks. This is the, yeah. the curtain call season of of House of Cards. Yeah. I mean, it really, like, what, I don't want to get too much off on a tangent, but what point was there to announcing season five that so early? Why not wait until, like, a week or two from now and announce season five? I think that the shows like to sort of get their vote of confidence, especially if we're going to have the showrunner leaving this show, maybe they wanted to have like a vote of confidence in the show. Maybe that headline was about to leak and say, wanted to get out in front of that story. Damn it, Seth. Maybe it's Seth Grayson of Netflix was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, we got to get out in front of this. Yeah. It's, it is like a house of cards story. They'll bury the but... lead. They'll pick yeah. up for season five. So I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Don't get too caught up in that. I'm trying not to. Yeah. It just bothers me. All right. Well, let's talk about Claire and her power play here. And we see her quite a bit with Donald Blythe. And I guess it's sort of like they're sort of like work spouses now where, <laughs> you know, now he just like lives at the White House and he's just up late at night. And Claire Underwood is just eating salad late at night. By the way, Frank Underwood, much better in terms of the late night snacking department than either Claire Underwood or Donald Blythe. What was Donald Blythe's snack? He was eating salad, too. He was just oh, like, oh, yeah. you want some of this salad I'm making? Oh, sa- salad bar. White House salad bar. It's great. White House salad bar. Yeah. And he's just got to hang out there all night because he has to live there. And, you know, they're going to smoke some cigarettes and talk things through. Uh, she didn't let him smoke the cigarette. She said right when he wanted it, she said, nope. No, you can't have it. No, you can't have the cigarette. Only for Claire. And yeah. Is that a symbol of power, do you think? That's how I interpreted that. The men in their smoky rooms that we talked about quite a bit last season. Yeah. And Claire, Claire's the one who's, who's taken on that role. And, um, you know, she's, she's grasping the bull by the horns right now. She's, she's doing a very good job. She really is. So she's going to get Donald Blythe to get her on the call. And really, I thought it was a, a real role reversal where he's talking about like, oh, I got the call with Petrov tomorrow. I'm really, I'm really nervous. And she's like, well, do you want me to talk about it with you? And he's like, ah, I just don't know what he's going to do. And really, it was like shades of like Marty McFly with George McFly. Yeah. Tell her, tell Petrov he's your density. Tell him. him, Yeah. And she's like, well, do you want me to hold your hand during the call? Do you want me to? It's like, oh, Kathy won't like that. I was like, okay, why don't you just patch me in? What is going on at the White House where it's just, is it just like the sort of like the house phone at your parents' house where somebody could be on the call and if you just pick up in the other room, you could hear what's going on on the call? Yeah, either that or he dialed in a free conference line before the rest of his colleagues walked in and, and you know, don't mind, don't mind the music. Don't mind the music. I thought maybe it would make sense if he had like just Skype open on his laptop and he was just like pumping the call in and she was on mute. I feel like that that would be a lot more plausible than it's in the White House in the Oval Office and it's like they don't know that there's a third person on the call. 
<laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem very secure. But once again, we do get this theme of listening into conversations, oh. which we saw early in the season, too. Yeah. So we have Claire Underwood. She's gaining more and more power, also gaining more and more sympathy to the point where that everybody is really loving her. She gives this big speech. She announces that the president is needing need of a liver and they didn't want that to get out, but it comes from her. She also sort of shoots down everything going on with Zoe Barnes and Pete Rousseau, which we'll talk about the whole newspaper angle of all that. But Claire Underwood is now at the point where she has more power than Doug. She's like shutting Doug out of things. Yeah, and she calls him Douglas, too. She's the first time anybody's ever called him Douglas in this whole show. I can remember. <laughs> yeah. And so she is now really calling these shots. She ends up orchestrating this whole big plot to end up getting Remy back in the mix. She's going to blackmail Remy with the pictures of Jackie and then gets Tusk back in the mix as well. So she is really the ultimate puppet master of season four. And are we at the point where we need to start going back and taking a look at House of Cards? Is it not the rise to power of Frank Underwood, but perhaps instead the rise to power of Claire Underwood. I mean, definitely this season, but yeah, the whole show, you know, if you just see where Claire starts the show as the director of the nonprofit and, and now where she's come and she's, you know, on the other end of instant messages with the president while he's talking to Russia and listening into calls and, and you know, orchestrating you know, the puppet master is a really great description for her. Cause that's what she's doing. She's doing everything behind the scenes. Uh, you know, similar, I think it's very similar trajectory to what we saw Frank doing in the first and second seasons. And even to the point that, that you brought up earlier, where we did have a malleable president that had a vice president who was steering him in season two, including working with Raymond Tusk and having Tusk involved. And we're seeing real shades of that with this episode. So Tusk is back in play. And uh, we even saw Tusk talk about how Frank would have a, what, a brain conniption if he knew that Tusk was in the Oval Office. Yeah, he said he'd have a conniption. And I wondered if I don't really know what a conniption literally means. I meant to look that up. But you know, I wondered if a conniption was a medical condition that could actually be something that happens to Frank. I don't know if what happens to him at the end of the episode is uh, considered a conniption. <laughs> I don't know. But we do think that Frank is going to get out of the woods, right? Yeah. I, I Do you think we start right back at that scene in the start, beginning of the next episode, or do you think we jump ahead? I'm not sure exactly what happens in terms of where we go with Frank, because I really thought that we'd be through this in one episode. But I got to feel like by the end of the next episode, Frank's got to be back up and running. Yeah, I would I would think he's he's up and running and possibly running unopposed. Uh, because we're not going to have Dunbar in the Dunbar picture Dunbar is Dunbar. We called it in the last episode, and really, it ends up saving Seth's job, but almost cost Seth his life, all of this stuff that, that's going on. Let's go ahead and let's, let's just talk through Seth and Doug. Did you think that Seth was going to get whacked by Doug? I was really not sure what was going to happen in that, because we saw him not filling up the water, and again, you know, I, I don't want to go back to the cursed drink, but I am because at the end of this whole fight between Seth and Doug, after Doug has suffocated Seth and made him blink to show that he understands, it, Seth stands up and tells Doug he's crazy and Doug offers him the drink, but he turns it down. And he says, no, he says, you're crazy. Yeah. But then the next day, it's just, you know, another day at the office. Oh, good morning, Seth. Good morning, Business Doug. as usual. Well, yeah. do you think that Seth is going to in this sort of civil war? And I wonder maybe if the civil war 
is maybe an apt comparison for what's going on here this season between the Underwoods, where there is a civil war that's going on between the two of them. I'm not sure who's the North and who's the South here, but this is a battle, which is a brutal, brutal war being fought between the Underwoods. And it's, it's giving the appearance. I mean, the civil war was actually a very bloody conflict, but just the term civil war, right? A war of the roses. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a really good uh, observation, and and we're seeing people choose sides. I mean, obviously Doug is on Frank's side, but where is Seth going to fall on this? Where's Remy? Uh, where's Kathy Durant? Like, where are all these pieces going to fall if we do start seeing more and more of a civil war? I think I think that's a that is a really good way to describe this too. Puppet master and civil war. You're on a roll. <laughs> Let's talk about the imagery. Speaking of the civil war of the Confederate soldier that was in the room, lots of imagery of the musket. I know Frank was shot, but did you read anything symbolically into all the different times we saw both the soldier and Frank holding the musket? I mean, we saw a lot of very different uh, versions of that soldier. We saw him in a suit, we saw him clean shaven. We saw him with the beard. And, you know, I was I was curious if that also was something. But, but with the musket, you know, the last time we see the musket, we hear the bayonet being screwed onto the musket. And it almost sounds like two blades being sharpened against each other. And I wondered if, you know, somebody about to operate on Frank, is that what we're hearing? And then Frank is out in the middle of the woods holding the musket. And shots start coming from behind, from his side, from his battle side. Hashtag shots, shots fired, right? Shots, yeah, shots fired. And he's, you know, getting shot in the back right before. So is this is this him starting to feel that there are there are people on his side working against him, like Claire and Donald Blythe and Remy? Or um, you know, is he gonna get betrayed and it's you know, shot in the back? If Frank is team Doug, could Seth go and be on team Claire? I think Doug got Seth to be loyal to him now after after he took Seth and he suffocated him, which I didn't know you could suffocate somebody like that. Not that I'm going to try it, but I didn't know you could put a glass over somebody's mouth. And I I guess it makes sense, but I just never thought of that as a method of suffocation. Now, you know, yeah, the more, you know, (laughs) Uh, but I think Seth is on team Frank. Well, I, I feel like if if we are going to see this house divided, I feel like it would make all the more sense in the world. But we don't really see a close relationship, at least not this season, maybe earlier on between Seth and Claire. Yeah. And I mean, if Seth isn't on Team Frank, who is? Mm. It seems like everybody else Doug. is on Claire's side. Doug. Yeah, with Doug. And then who else? That's it. Yeah. Nobody else. So it's two-man army. Is Doug going to basically commit suicide and say that Frank can have his whole liver? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I I wasn't sure if he would even be able to survive giving him the liver uh, as his as he wanted to do at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm curious who the you know, do you think it'll be somebody that we know that's the liver donor? No, or I don't just think gonna be so. Somebody random? I think it's going to be a completely random. But, but I think that really did blow my mind that the president of the United States could not be first on the list. And the doctor's like, hey, that's the law. But yeah, that was pretty crazy. I mean, I have to go back to the Star Trek to the uh, needs of uh, the many outweigh the needs of the one. But I feel like that the needs of the many, wouldn't that be the president of the United States? Like, like if the president needs some sort of organ transplant, that there are civilians that are ahead of the president. And I'm surprised we're not seeing any civilians that are volunteering. Yeah, Um, I don't I don't I mean, can you. 
Can you give up part of your liver and still live? I don't know. We don't have. We need some of our uh, medical correspondents from the Seinfeld podcast to be calling yeah. in and giving us this type of information. Yeah, where's Doctor really, Thomas <laughs> or, or Doctor Pete? Yeah, I did really like the uh, how they made Frank very yellow. Mm. I don't know if you noticed that the makeup on him was very yellow, and I, I would assume that's the effect of the liver. But um, yellow Frank, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about the appearance of the rowing machine also in the fantasy? What do you think of the appearance of the rowing machine? That rowing machine was basically a staple in season one. I don't know if we saw it too much in season two. Came back at season three. Claire was using it. Does the rowing machine symbolize power? I think it symbolized working for power. It's people that are the people that are on the rowing machine are are starting to get their plans in motion. And so, you know, I thought that was going to be he was going to be rowing and then he was going to wake up and be better. And I just kept expecting him to wake up throughout this episode. I, I was surprised the turn that it took. No, he did not wake up. OK, let's begin to talk through all of the fallout from <laughs> Water Lucas Gate. And so we have everything happening. It's all in the news about how it was Lucas Goodwin. And we have the return, the spectacular return of Kate Baldwin. Kate Baldwin is played by Kim Dickens, who, of course, is one of the main leads on Fear the Walking Dead. I assumed, as we didn't see her through four episodes, that she was going to be off the show this season. But here she is back investigating the Lucas Goodwin story. First, Zach, do you think that it's one and done for Kate Baldwin here in this episode? I don't know. She seemed pretty interested in this story. And I just, I, you know, I said in the last episode, I think people are going to continue to carry this torch about Zoe Barnes and Pete Rousseau. And it doesn't look like it's going to be Dunbar anymore. So maybe it's Kate Baldwin and Hammerschmidt. Yeah, maybe. But <laughs> also Hammerschmidt is back. And I felt like that it was a weird return for him. Again, a lot of sort of keying in on his dog and what was going on. And I'm not sure about the symbolism there in terms of him and his dog. But he gives up his notes. He gives them to the FBI. They sort of sort of back up what he was saying at the time. And he never really pursued this story. He tells Kate Baldwin to drop it. He gets his notes back. Seems like sort of a complete non-factor in this episode, but we spent a lot of time with him. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I really took away from the dog is that the dog was black. So, you know, maybe that's... Powerful dog. Yeah, powerful or ominous. Um, you know, I think I think that's part of it. You know, and maybe it's that he's the master. So maybe yeah. he's, he's the one in power. Well, I wonder if that's a theme here in this episode of we had uh, Tom Hammerschmidt with his dog and this sort of idea of loyalty versus obedience. And we have Doug who, after he takes Seth out and he puts the glass over his mouth, he says to him, if I can't get your loyalty, I will get your obedience. We also see Claire with Donald Blythe in the kitchen that he wants the treat. And she says, no, no, you cannot have it. And yeah. is that a theme here in this episode of, a master with the person who is the subservient person to them. Yeah. And we see it even with Frank and Doug, um, where Doug is asking Frank what to do, even though Frank is unconscious and, and calls him boss. So yeah, we definitely see that throughout this episode. He's off the leash. Yeah. He, he's off the leash and doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know where to go. So 
the idea of obedience, I think, and getting people to do what you want them to do and stay obedient, I think, is something that's going on here in this episode. All right. So we also have the Remy subplot where we get him back uh, with the blackmail and also with, oh, we'll blow up the whole thing about Jackie Sharp. So why is this such a big deal for Remy? And then at the end of the episode, we see Jackie and Remy holding hands in the elevator. So do they just not care anymore at this point? Well, in the elevator, they get in, it goes going down. Yes. And I just thought that was that, that was definitely placed there That was there like for Remy reason. and Jackie in the second episode of the season. <laughs> oh, look at that. Tasty. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're Remy uh, they're, Shake, Lucas Shake, <laughs> Lucas Shake and uh, 50 Shades of Remy. Yeah, 50 Shades of Remy. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we see them. We see them going down. Remy is coming back into this world that he said he was done with. And he's going back down into the depths of hell to work in politics again and to work with Jackie. We also had the return of Petrov. He's on the call with Donald Blythe. And we had where Claire was in the other room trying to pass notes to Donald Blythe secretly via Skype. And so what did you think of Petrov and how do you feel like he's going to do with Donald Blythe? Because I thought that Petrov was actually pretty, pretty cool on this call. Like I thought he was like, by the end of it, he's like, oh, I feel really bad. Okay. Uh, yeah, sorry, the, Mr. Vice President. I'm sorry. At the beginning of the call, he calls him Vice President yeah, and he's he was, talking down he was to him. such a douche. But then by the end, yeah. he's like, oh, no, I really feel bad now. And he calls him Mr. President at the end. Yeah. So he's he's got more respect for him by the end of that call. Uh, Claire did a really good job coaching. You know, she's like a dating coach with Donald Blythe, um, just in the background, telling him, telling him the lines to use, telling him play along, just you know, do what he says, give him a compliment, say something mean now. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think I think Petrov and and Blythe is going to be an interesting. It's going to be an interesting relationship to watch. I really liked when Petrov was like visualize the men working on the pipeline are they Chinese? And it was just like, mm-hmm. a, like a good punch there that he got on him where he's like, yeah, we know what you did in China. All right. You're not getting one over on us. That's right. So now if we get this gas crisis going back in the right direction, and if Dunbar is D O N E bar, then it really does start to feel like the path is clear now for the Blythe Claire Underwood ticket to march along into November to take on Conway. They got a lot of momentum now. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's going to be Blythe Claire right off the bat. Uh, I feel like because so much of what Claire has done has been behind the scenes. Yeah, the American public knows what she's said in her press conferences and said about Frank's health. But, you know, I think it's, there has to be something else that happened that gets Claire into that position to be vice president. So I don't know. You know, people are loving her. Now, who would be in the line of secession after the vice president? What, is it the secretary of state? Uh, or the speaker of the house. Speaker of the house. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember off the top of my head who the speaker of the house is. I think we've met the speaker of the house before. We have to go back to the state of the union and see who was standing behind Frank next to Donald Blythe. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, is it Birch? Is he the Speaker of the House? I wouldn't know off the top of my head. I I, I believe it's Birch, but uh, we can go with that. We'll go with that. Sure. Yeah. Since the character so. has not come up in the last four episodes, we will assume that they are not a player. Or we'll assume that they're going to show up in the next episode, because that seems to be what House of Cards is doing. <laughs> yeah. So, Zach, anything else about Chapter 44 before we start to look at a couple of these questions? Well, did you see that Agent Green now oh, is yeah, director of- yeah, and he's director of counterterrorism. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was just an FBI agent, but I think all of his work helping Doug, you know, he was always Doug's informant, and he's the one who showed Doug the note that they found at Lucas's house. So uh, Agent Green, head of CTU now, head of Jack Bauer. So let me ask you this. I asked you this question in the last episode. Now that the dust is settled on Zoe Barnes, Pete Russo, has this finally been put to bed, or will these accusations linger? It's going to linger. It's not going anywhere. I think, you know, we might not hear about it for a couple episodes, but until it is once and for all bites Frank and gets him, which I really think it will eventually be what gets him. uh, We're going to keep hearing about it, you know, from time to time. Ready for some questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Not as many questions for chapter 44 as we had in our chapter 43 recap. All right, Spencer Y. wants to know about Seth Grayson's near-death experience. Wow, when I saw this scene with Doug and Seth in an apartment, I was eagerly anticipating for Doug to kill Seth with a mere glass cup Jason Bourne style. Since Seth is such a flip-flopping opportunist and seeking to stay in the greener pasture, can he ever be fully trusted or did Doug make the right move by threatening his obedience or will Seth get PO'd from what Doug did and seek to take down the Underwood administration as the new Lucas? No, I think we've got Seth fully obedient like a trained dog. I think that was a really good metaphor that you brought up. And, you know, it it just takes a takes a little obedience session to get a dog to listen to you and to follow your lead. So I think we got Seth. uh, We got Seth locked down on Team Frank now. That Uh, was the equivalent of the choke collar for Seth. Seth, you are a bad boy. You are bad. (laughs) You are bad, Seth. Mm. <laughs> Seth's even down on the ground like a dog and, and yes. kind of whimpers away. I think, yeah, he's a, you know, Seth the dog. I think, I think we're seeing that. And, and interesting. Seth, you get no water. You are bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't, don't treat your dog the way that Doug treated Seth. There, there are better ways to teach your dog. Yeah. Uh, much like how Frank Underwood treated a dog in the very first shot of this house of cards. Yeah, no, that was that was even worse. But uh, we don't need to put Seth out of his misery just yet. (laughs) All right. And then also Spencer wants to know about spineless Blythe. Clearly, Donald is not fit to lead this country as president of the United States. But is he also the worst VP ever? Do you think that Claire is angling to make him look as terrible as possible and get him ousted from office? Or is Claire manipulating him in such a way that if Frank ever recovers, spineless Blythe will resign or step down from his VP position, look like a doofus and request for Claire as his replacement? Is this Claire's long con? All right. So this is sort of the counterpoint to what I've been saying, where I feel like that Claire is doing her best to make Blythe look good so that he'll trust her and make her the VP. Do you think, as Spencer suggests, is Claire doing her worst to make Donald Blythe look bad so that he's out of office? No, I'm with you. I think that she's trying to help Blythe do a good job. And and even if Frank does return and Blythe becomes vice president, we've now got Claire Underwood with a direct line to Donald Blythe, and she can influence things through Blythe. And and Frank might not even realize that that she's working with him. And those two can really work together against Frank. So she's in a great position right now. And, and I don't think it would behoove her at all to, to do a bad job while Frank is out because it's just going to make people want Frank Underwood back. Well, let me just add this in because the worst case scenario for Claire Underwood here in considering what she wants to have happen, the worst case scenario is she props up Donald Blythe. She is in Donald Blythe's ear. He does a great job. He gets everybody really pumped up about Donald Blythe. Frank Underwood recovers. 
he can't possibly take Donald Blythe off the ticket at that point where everybody is thinking that Donald Blythe is the best, that the whole idea of her becoming the vice president is that Donald Blythe sucks. Nobody even likes him. Nobody would be mad if they took him off the ticket. You can't take him off the ticket at the point that he's the hero that solves all these crises. So for Claire Underwood, she's really incentivized at this point for Frank Underwood to not make it. Yeah, I think, you know, throughout this episode, we saw that Frank was doing poorly, and I think that's fine. But I wonder if we start seeing Frank do better, if he starts recovering in the next episode, is Claire going to have to do something to make sure he doesn't come back into the picture? Yeah, I thought when she was giving him that water, I'm like, well, maybe he doesn't need water when he's in a coma like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, if I wonder if she was going like, to. Oh, I thought he needed water. That oh, was an accident. <laughs> he's, dr- he's drowning. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, any more emails? Uh, yeah, I got one from Brendan and he says, so does this mean that Kate and the hammer are back on the Frank murderer trail? No, I think that the hammer is off the trail. He said, let it go. But he opened his notes at the end of the episode. Yeah. So you think the hammer could be reopening this case? I mean, he saw exactly where this went for Lucas. Yeah, but he's maybe he thinks he's smarter than Lucas. I don't know. He did tell, tell Kate also to let him know if an editor position opens up at the Washington Herald. And I thought that was kind of a weird thing to to air unless that's going to end up paying off. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll see ultimately to bring his character back into the story. It did seem weird to have him just be one and done and have it because his storyline really didn't go anywhere here in episode five. What do you think he's been doing? Just hanging know. out at his house, training his dog? Yeah, I think so. Uh, to me that uh tom hammerschmidt he's the best casting ever he's like the perfect guy that looks like he would be this guy yeah he just he almost looks like his dog you know they say people look like their dogs and and i I think they casted the dog really well too what did you think about the idea where they talked about that lucas uh got a bug put in his ear and he couldn't get it out (laughs) and it wouldn't crawl out it was i was having flashbacks to seeing bugs crawl out of people's ears put some water in the ear that's really the key to that yeah, I hope if they do, they at least get a shot of it on camera right as it crawls out. Right. Okay. <laughs> Picture uh, the bug in the ear. Picture it. Close your eyes. Is the bug Chinese? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's start to uh, wrap up this Chapter 44 recap. Of course, we'll be back next time with our Chapter 45 recap. Can you believe it, Zach? No. I think we are... Uh, we're hoping that Frank wakes back up because I like this episode a lot, but it, you know, I'm not tuning into House of uh, House of Doug or House of Remy or House of Tusk. I'm tuning into House of Cards with starring Frank Underwood. Okay, so what is the hashtag for our Chapter 44 talk? I mean, we could go with a lot of different things. I think we could go with uh, hashtag Going Down, but we might not want to do that. Maybe one. not. Yeah. Um, what about hashtag bad Seth? Oh, like you're yelling at Seth the dog? Yes. You are bad. You're a bad press secretary. <laughs> I'm going to suffocate you with this cup. <laughs> Look in this glass. Oh, man. Yeah, that was oh, that that was a good scene. I thought I thought we saw some really good Doug. We saw Doug at a very high point and a very low point in this episode. Yes. Yeah. Doug has been a bounce back season for Doug. Definitely. Did you notice that Dunbar's campaign slogan is integrity matters? Oh, that's a poor choice of uh, she should go to something else. Yeah, yeah, like uh, like meeting with future assassins matters. (laughs) 
<laughs> right, right. <laughs> We're shooting from the hip. <laughs> Onto the hip. Dunbar. <laughs> okay, so we are going to be back with our chapter 45 recap. Very excited. Uh, great season of House of Cards, right? So far, so yeah. good? I really like the pacing so far. We got a couple slow episodes to start, and now we really dove in. And I think, you know, I think we're going to keep going. Um, I'm curious where we pick up the next episode. Um, we also got introduced to the attorney general as a character again in this episode. So she's back. She might, she might continue playing a, playing a major role. I think there's a lot of open seats right now because we've had some, uh, cast members leave. So who's your number one contender right now for LVP? Ooh, for LVP? I don't, hmm. No front runner. It was Lucas and now he's gone. Yeah. It was, I mean, good job getting rid of Lucas really quickly. I think, you know, maybe Remy. I think I it's think Remy. I think he it's hasn't Remy. Done too when much. we were at his house and he was putting gas in his parents' car, I did write in my notes like a uh, Remy LVP question mark. <laughs> but then Leanne showed up and then it was like, okay, well, then I got him back in the storyline. But don't go too far off the rails here, Remy. Yeah, I did like it. I felt like I was in the beginning of a Fast and the Furious movie when Remy was in line at the gas station and there's all these awesome convertibles. I'm like, where are they that everybody has convertibles? Florida. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm guessing it was Miami, and um, you know, he offered eighty dollars for two gallons of gas. I would have given him a couple gallons of gas. Yeah, 40 I might bucks say a gallon. my number two for LVP could be Celia, but we haven't seen her in a while. Yeah, I mean, can she be LVP when <laughs> no, it's her first season? I mean, season? if we don't go back to Doris and Celia, no, there's not enough there. I think also. You know, Dunbar might be in the running for that. We'll see where her story goes. But so far, it's no, kind of, I and think, Jackie Sharp, too. I mean, what is Jackie Sharp doing? Yeah, but it's almost like that she has been on the DL this season. I just feel like that she hasn't been bad. We just She's been almost invisible. Yeah. Um, also, a message I got earlier from Kurt Clark after we had recorded our episode four recap. He told me that the actor who plays uh, who plays Meacham has actually been cast on Gotham. Oh, so, what is he yeah. going to play? So he said Nathan Darrow, who plays Meacham, is going to be playing Mr. Freeze in the back half in the back half of season two of Gotham. Okay, all right. Well, so we'll see more of Meacham. He is gone, but not forgotten. Yeah, he's frozen. He's a uh, Mr. Freeze guy, okay. ice cold. Yeah, well, he really heated things up on House of Cards. <laughs> yeah, he's got to take a cold shower to cool these things off. <laughs> all right, so so much more to get to here on the House of Cards post show recap. We want to make sure you subscribe to the podcast, and we do appreciate our approval ratings. Do go up on iTunes when you leave us your comments and star ratings. We do greatly appreciate that as well. Uh, let uh, show us your appreciation. Uh, raise, raise your right hand and uh, swear your allegiance to uh, this podcast. Now. Uh, you don't have to, but if you'd like to, you can go ahead and go to iTunes, go to postshowrecaps.com slash H-O-C iTunes. Yeah, please be obedient. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we need an obedience oath from all the listeners. <laughs> all right, though, greatly appreciate all of the uh, support and you guys listening to all of these podcasts. Uh, leave us your comments as well on postshowrecaps.com. We'll be back with chapter 45 coming up soon. Uh, great job once again, Zach Brooks. Yeah, this is a very fun season to recap. I'm, I'm glad that we got House of Cards back and it, it, it's not missing a beat. We are rolling along here in season four. Our episode six, chapter 45 recap is coming up next. Take care, everybody. Bye.